Well, today we are going to finish, Lord willing, our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. I thought with the middle school I'd be able to cover all of chapter 15. It didn't quite get there. Um, so let me close this real quick. Hmm, interesting on the perspective. I'm just going to restart this real quick because it's coming out kind of funky. And do that. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And as I mentioned the other day, if I could rewrite the schedule, I would not have made me cover so much ground in the last two lessons. But as the Lord has it, this is where we're at. On Sunday, Cody, remember Cody is uh, finishing up his internship in the month of March, April, May. He is in charge of all of the middle school, everything that's going on there. But he's also in charge of the teaching calendar. And so with that, he chose the book of Philippians. And so he's going to start us off this Sunday. And I think thankful for the leaders picking up the slack while Kim and I are gone on sabbatical from about, I don't know, is it March 9th through April 8th or something like that? Um, the leaders will be picking up the slack and teaching the lessons and all that fun stuff. You can see now that as we come to chapter 16, we are at the conclusion. That hair is just... I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You, no, go with it. Go with it. It's, I, I can power through. But every time I'm like, I'm like, who is that lady? And I'm like, it's not a lady. It's, a, it's, it's Aaron. It's Aaron. I have flashbacks to that, that lady from... Uh, who is the Kate plus eight or something like that? The, the one that had, yeah, the Kate Gosselin or something. That's all I can, that's all I can think of. And you guys are, fortunately, are too young to, to remember that dumb reality TV show, but that's the one that it keeps coming to mind. So, but you look good. You look good. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Thank you. All right. So, book of 1 Corinthians, the theme is correction and condemnation, and this is where we have been. I believe we started in August. We introduced the book, and I'm not reading the whole book, in case you're wondering. Paul began dealing with divisiveness, and then he began dealing with tolerance. Remember, that was the situation where the man had an immoral relationship with his stepmother, and the church was tolerating it, and they said, no, kick him out. Get him out of there. And then he began dealing with lawsuits. Christians in the church, they were suing each other. Then he began dealing with immorality. And he told them to flee from immorality. Then he began dealing with marriage. Now, marriage isn't a bad thing, okay? It's not the bad thing. But he was teaching about it. Some of you are currently single in the book of 1 Corinthians. All of you are, except for the leaders. And if you're single, you are to be content. You are to trust in the Lord. And you are to pursue him. And then the Lord will work those things out. If you're married, then there are certain roles. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And the wife is to submit to her husband. And don't act like the world or think like the world in regard to marriage, but do things God's way. Then he began dealing with idolatry. Dealing with idolatry. And while we may not bow down to wood and gold and stubble or whatever it is, we create idols of the heart. Anything that we value more than we value God would be an idol. And we need to run from those things. 
Then he began dealing with gender roles, which is incredibly applicable for where we are at today. Guys need to look like guys and girls need to look like girls. And they need to, to fulfill the roles that God has called them to. Both equal, but both gracious. The hair, no, the, the guys, what is wrong with you? What is, yeah. All right, we digress. And then he, he began dealing with fellowship. Dealing with fellowship, whether it's the Lord's table or whether it's something else. Uh, they began dealing with spiritual gifts, and that was a, a, a very fun time. I've never had so many good questions from you, not that you typically have bad questions, but you have classmates or family members that had uh, objections or thoughts that they asked about that, and so we walked through spiritual gifts, and then very briefly in two chapters or two lessons, we we're dealing with the resurrection. Again, the resurrection is a good thing. And it's proof that our faith is genuine. And it makes us think about how Christ is coming back. And we're left with verse 58. Because of the resurrection, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Isn't that an encouraging verse? And I know that you've been here for all the lessons or you went back and if you missed on a Wednesday night, you watched the YouTube stream or you, you listened online. And I know that you perfectly applied all of these things and I really appreciate it. But now we're going to conclude the book. We're going to conclude the book. And with this conclusion, and that's the title, concluding the book, just in case, okay, we're looking at ministry. We're looking at ministry, and specifically ministry done right. Ministry done right. Ministry is service to the Lord. This is the work of the church. This is work of missionaries. This is work of pastors. But it's the work of all Christians. We're all involved in ministry. Building up, equipping, loving, encouraging, praying, admonishing one another. Confronting unbelievers with the gospel. And there are different aspects. There's money in ministry that he covers. And then he's going to talk about leadership in ministry. And then he's going to talk about friends in ministry. And when it comes to money and the church, what are some of the horror stories or some of the, the pitfalls you can think of when it comes to money in ministry? Yeah, money being spent the wrong way, being given to people that don't need it. Isaiah? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about purgatory and the indulgences, that system that Catholicism made up. Yeah, to line their pockets. It's good. Someone was listening last, last message. What else? What are other ways or dangers or pitfalls? Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's sad, right? And, you know, I haven't let y'all ride on my private jet yet. Um, but maybe one day, all those camps that I've been skimming off the top. No, it, it's, it's sad. People give to the church for the work of service, but there are wolves out there that are taking the majority of that for themselves. Charlatans. But money is necessary, right? 
to do the work that's there. So sometimes as a church, we don't want to talk about giving or we don't want to talk about those things because we don't want to present ourselves as someone just out there for the dollar. But money can help accomplish things, help us do things in ministry. You know, somehow we're paying the bills to keep the lights on here. All right. So Paul begins clarifying the collection, clarifying the collection. You're like, what? What are you talking about? Verse one, now concerning the collection. That sounds kind of cool. That sounds like a new band or maybe a cool TV show. Who is this collection for? It is for the saints. So money is being donated, being given for the saints. And we say the saints, we're talking about believers here. Those that are followers of Jesus Christ. But specifically in verse 3, it says Jerusalem. So it is to the saints in Jerusalem. And we're going to pop back and forth just a little bit between Acts and where we're at today. And Acts 24, 17 says, Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. This is Paul talking to Felix saying at times Paul would come back from his missionary journeys and he would bring funds to believers. What is this collection for? What is it for? Well, it's to meet needs. To meet needs. Go back to Acts chapter 2. And I know you're writing and you're flipping at the same time, which makes things a little bit difficult. But in Acts, remember the Holy Spirit came in chapter 2. Thousands of people became believers. The church is established and it is going great. In verse 44, it says, Those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now some, some say this is why you should have like Christian communism in a sense. But what we're saying here, this is a church all right, the people that are just being established and they're excited and some of them have much and some of them have little and those that have much say, look, you know, I'll sell off this and I'll provide for you here. And where before you had kind of a, a societal structure, now they're all one coming together. In Acts chapter four, it says the result of this was what? There was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. Now, money isn't a bad thing, but they say, oh, look, I have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this common bond. I've got this house over here. I'm going to sell that house and I'm going to help you out. Great. It's wonderful. But then you have immediately what happens in chapter five. Ananias and Sapphira look at this and say, wow. Everybody else seems to be getting a gold star because they're giving money. Hey, yeah, we got some money too. Is that the whole amount? Oh, yes. Oh, they die. You remember the story, right? Money and ministry went bad fast in the book of Acts. But look at chapter 8. Why does Jerusalem now need an offering from Corinth of all places? Well, because of a guy named Saul. Saul was in what? Hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. So they were, poof, scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So in Corinth, they're wanting to meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem because of the amazing persecution that's going on in there. The, one of the hardest places to be a Christian 
to be a follower of Christ was in Jerusalem where Christ was crucified. And in Acts chapter 9, you, that's the man born blind. And when Jesus healed him, there was this threat that they would put him out of the synagogue. And remember, they asked his parents and the parents were like, whoa, whoa, whoa we don't want anything to do with this Jesus guy. Because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. Well, what does that mean? You were put out of society if you were put out of the synagogue. And it affected everything. So you have this church where persecution had come in and God used that persecution to scatter the gospel all around. And now Paul is taking an offering from different churches to bring back to Jerusalem. And this collection is going to actually promote fellowship. It's going to promote fellowship. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given the churches in Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, to us by the will of God. This giving for one another unites in fellowship. Those at Corinth that might not know that it, those that are in Jerusalem are united from this common giving. You know, remember when we, when we used to go to Mexico and the churches would be so gracious to have us in and to give us food. And we're like, you can't even afford this food. But they wanted to give whatever they had and there's this participation going on. So that's what the collection is for. It's among the church. It's among the region. It says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. And among the Jews and the Gentiles, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So it's not a little church here and a little church here and a little church there. They're all one. They're all connected. They're all Jew and they're Gentile. And they're donating for one another to help each other. And this collection is going to help. Well, then he's going to point out the process. First of all, he's going to declare the day. He's going to say, this collection needs to be collected, shocker, on the first day of the week. That would be Sunday, right? Sunday, the Lord's Day. The day that Jesus was resurrected is the day that we meet and we fellowship together. So that's the day that this collection will be made. But then he defines the donors, each one of you. What? Yeah. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Look and see. Some of you can give much and some of you can give little, but there's a need here and let's all band together and do this. And then he talks about deciding the dollars. Each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. Like, look, you don't, you don't have to give all your money away so that then people have to give because you don't have any money for food or your electric bill or something like that. But out of the extra amount that you have after you have your daily needs, you, you need to to weigh that out and to look. The whole tithing system was an Old Testament thing. It's a good rule of thumb that you can go by, but the Lord loves a generous giver. And then, then I couldn't come up with a cool D thing here. You can come up with your own if you want to. It said, so that no collections be made when I come. It says, look, I don't want this to be about me. 
I don't want it that I roll into town and then you write your you get your checkbook out. Hey, Paul, oh, look at this. Hey, good to see you. He says, no, 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 you, you take care of this already and I'm going to come in town, right? But then delivering the donation. It says, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Ooh, Paul's smart here, right? He says, I don't want your money because what are you going to think of me? Oh, he just came to get our money. I want you to find someone else that's faithful, whomever you approve. Get together, talk about it, approve that person, and then send them away. If it is fitting for me to go also, they go with me. I want you to think for a moment when it comes to the collection process for CBC. Wouldn't it be wrong if we said, hey, yeah, you just go ahead and give me your money. You give me your cash. I'm going to put it in my pocket. It's going to get to the right place. Trust me. You trust me. I wouldn't want that responsibility. I, would, I wouldn't want that, right? So we obviously, in today's world of the internet, a lot of giving is done online. You can set up automatic payments. You can go in and do special things. That's clean and easy. But on Sunday, you also can give into the little slots. And especially when we have communion, anything given goes towards benevolence to meet the needs of others. But with that... I don't see the money. We have men, we have a deacon, uh, Dr. Mason, who's specifically over that. And he has different approved collectors that have been brought to the elder board. And they travel around with an armed officer and they collect all the money. And then there are others that, that count it to make sure it gets to where it goes. Well, why? Well, we want to be above reproach. We want several different checks and balances. And, so, and some say, oh, but it's church. Well, Yes. And that's why people get abused. And that's how money goes missing. And so we're very systematic with all of that stuff so that we can be above reproach with what we are doing. Money is not a bad thing. The love of money is a bad thing. And our church isn't about money. Our church is about Jesus Christ. But we need the money to do that work of service. Right? And the more money that we end up with, we end up doing more service to help and to guide and to help our own people to uh, do the, the work of the church here, but also to help others. Now, what about leaders in ministry? There are three leaders that are listed in this chapter. Paul, Timothy, and Apollos. Paul, Timothy, and Apollos. Well, when it comes to Paul, we first of all see his certain present plans. Ooh, that's fun to say. His certain present plans. It says, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia, verse 8, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Just a real quick map in case you haven't memorized all of these things. I haven't memorized all these things. He says the word Macedonia. We know he's writing to those at Corinth. And he also says Ephesus. So here we have the region of Macedonia. And here is where Corinth is. To us, it's like, oh, that's just like a stone throw away. Remember, travel and all those things would make things difficult. This is Paul's third missionary journey. But then here is Ephesus. And so for perspective, down here is Jerusalem. So that kind of helps us orient ourselves what he's saying. 
I will come to you, Corinth, but I have to go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia, but I will remain until Ephesus, until Pentecost. So he's at Ephesus. He's going to travel around through Macedonia and come to Corinth. What do we learn from Paul's certain present plans? Well, here he is, one of the apostles, a leader in the church. How does he pick what he do, how he do, when he do? Well, first of all, he plants. He plants. Now, I have shared with people before some of the way I plan, especially when it comes to youth group. And they think that I'm crazy. And they're probably a little bit right. But unfortunately, a lot of churches and a lot of people are always just firing from the hip. We'll figure it out when we get there. All right? I know, Lord willing, that we're going to start Philippians on Sunday. And I know what we're going to teach after that. And then I know what we're going to teach in the fall, Lord willing. Because I plan and I plot ahead and I look and I calculate. Paul, same thing, had a plan. I'll come to you after I go through Macedonia. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 18. And flip over there. Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon. And now he's saying he's going to come to them. If the Lord wills. Now, in the plan, he definitely says it's up to God. I want to come to you. You don't think I'm coming, but I'm coming to you. But this is the route I have to take if the Lord wills. And I shall found out, find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not consistent in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love or a spirit of gentleness? His plans are ministry oriented. And I want you to think of this, okay? Because in life, it's okay to plan, but with the caveat that if God changes the plan, I'm going to submit to God and his goodness. Some would say never plan because you just, you know, that type of thing. But his plans are ministry oriented. I'll remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has opened to me. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and effective or living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. He says, look, there's people to be loved on. There's people to be confronted. There's people to be encouraged. There's pastors to train. There's people that need to hear the gospel. I, I have to stay here. And I want to stay here. A wide door for effective service has opened to me. But he also says, and there are many adversaries. Now, for some of you, if you know that there's an adversary, you would run the other way. And he says, no, 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 no. God has a plan for me. I'm going to simply serve him, and I know there's going to be adversaries. His plans are mindful, but not fearful of enemies. But I will remain at Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So he did not fear those that kill the body. Rather, he feels the one that can kill the soul. So do you plan? Are your plans ministry oriented? What about college? What's your thought there? What happens when you graduate? Do you have to have a perfect answer? No, you don't. But I would encourage you to think through this. A lot of us choose a college and we, our heart gets kind of set on it and we want to go there. But is there a church there? 
Is there a church? If there's not a good church there, then you don't go to that college. College is you're out on your own, you're learning, there's all these influences. If you don't have a good church that's going to faithfully teach you the word and hold you accountable and give you an area to serve and equip, then why would you go there? You can have a plan to go somewhere, but if that plan is not ministry-oriented, when I get there, I want to go to a church and this is where I want to serve. This is what I want to do. College isn't about just having fun. It's about ministry. Could be. Some of you need to prayerfully consider full-time ministry. The Lord calling you to be a missionary or to be a pastor. And sometimes we get distracted by so many other things and we don't ask ourselves this. Are your plans dictated by the fear of man? Are they dictated by the fear of man? Not Paul, right? So those are his certain present plans. But then he talks about his possible present plans. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on your way wherever I may go. I'm kind of planning through this, but I don't really know. They're possible. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. And for some people in Corinth, they're like, yes! And for some, they're like, no! We're the ones he's been rebuking. And he's going to come hang out with us for a time. But others are like, yes! Come clean this up. What do we learn from Paul's possible present plans? Well, his plans are flexible. I may do this or I may do that. I don't have to know all the answers. His plans are dependent on the Lord, if the Lord permits. Sometimes people get crushed when things don't go the way that they had thought or they had planned. Well, God had a different plan. And you know what? His plan's better than your plan because he's God. His plans involve invested ministry. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Look, I love y'all. I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. I want to, I want to pray with you. I want to teach you. I want to guide you. That's what his life is. Is that what your life is? The people that are around you, your family, your friends, are, are you invested in them? Do you love them? Do you care for them? Are you working towards, you know, furthering and advancing the kingdom? We learn all those things from his possible present plans. Are your plans flexible? Are your plans dependent on the Lord? Do your plans involve invested ministry? You're not too young to think these things out and to pray through them and to come up with some good decisions in that. What about Timothy? We know about Paul, right? But what about Timothy? He says, now if Timothy comes, first of all, he needs a proper reception. See that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Well, I would, it's kind of weird, right? They not like Timothy? Hmm, why, why would he give that? Well, first of all, we do know that Timothy tends to struggle with being a little timid, a little reserved. And that's why he says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and discipline. He says he, he's doing the Lord's work, so let no one despise him. All right? So if Paul writes this letter, and Timothy is his protege, and Timothy shows up, some of them might be angry, like the dude in chapter 5. There might be people that were doing the, the hullabaloo, static speaking in tongues, and Timothy now represents Paul, and they ain't going to like him. 
And he says, don't do that. Don't take it out on Timothy. He is doing the Lord's work. Do not despise him. 1 Corinthians 6, 4. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of not account in the church? Timothy is of account and he's doing the work and he needs to be accepted. What about Apollos? What about Apollos? Verse 11 Sorry, let me finish with, with Timothy. Let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I ex- uh, expect him with the brethren. Apollos in verse 12. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has ministry. But what about Paul's comment about Apollos? Paul was never jealous of Apollos. He's never jealous of Apollos. Because there's no room for jealousy. Remember at the beginning of Corinth, right? The first first Corinthians. Some were saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Christ. I am of Peter. And he presents Apollos here as a co-laborer. Not someone that he's afraid of. Not someone that he's jealous of. And it's the same thing for us. You're doing the work. I'm doing the work. Let's all do the work. It says, but, encouraging, uh, but concerning Apollos, our brethren, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. On one hand, you're like, well, Paul, does that kind of destroy what you're trying to do to unify people? No, 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 this is perfect. He's like, I don't care. You're not of me. You're not of Apollos. We're just simply doing the work. So I want Apollos to come and I want him to back me up with this. You see, there's no room for pride in ministry. I encouraged him. I didn't command him, Apollos, I am the Apostle Paul, you must go with. No, I, I, hey, it would be great if you did that. It would be wonderful. There's no room for pride in ministry. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. And so you see Paul, Timothy, Apollos, different roles, different times that they're with Corinth, but all of them are leaders. And then the last section, we got to move a little faster through it, is friendships and ministry. Friendships and ministry. He closes with this, the churches of Asia greet you, which is really cool because he just spent 15 chapters blowing them up, blowing them up for the things that they're doing wrong, correction and condemnation. I got a church. You do? Awesome. What is it? It's a church at Corinth. Oh, yeah, the one, the correction and condemnation one? Yeah, that one. You know, wouldn't you rather be First Thessalonians? It's like the model church. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they love you. They're, they're one in Christ with you. They, they greet you. And uh, Aquila and Priscilla, hey, they also greet you heartily in the Lord. Sometimes when we correct people, we can make them feel like the relationship's all over. But no, 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 I'm going to correct you, but I'm going to do it in a loving way. I'm going I'm to remind you that we're in this together. Greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So it's not just them, it's also their, their church, their home. In fact, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And we know that was a, a common greeting, like a handshake or a high five or a fist bump or whatever it is the kids are doing these days. 
He says, this greeting is in my own hand. So he says, look, don't forget that I'm, I love you. I, I'm greeting you. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we know amen means let it be. May it be so. And so what a beautiful way to close this book where he says, look, I know you have struggles. I know that there's things that you're doing wrong, but we're in this together. We love you. We care for you. We have your best interest in mind. And as we conclude this book, what I want you to remember and take away, how, how do we apply this lesson? First of all, I want you to consider and know that ministry is not optional. This isn't just an apostle thing. Aquila, Prisca, Apollos, on and on and on. All it, ministry is what we should be doing. We sometimes think, let the pastors do their thing. Look, if we didn't have these other leaders in here, this youth ministry would not function. If we didn't have people taking care of the babies and the toddlers and all of this stuff, ministry would not function. If we didn't have people collecting the money and depositing the money and doing all this stuff, it, it wouldn't be possible. So ministry is simply service to the Lord. Ministry is not optional. Where are you serving? Who are you serving? Why are you serving? What are your, your future plans? I don't know if you've noticed this, but we, we have a music team. And we have an AV team. And we have ushers, right? All of those are ministries that translate to big church. Now, you might not in big church as an usher walk up with a big thing of candy to give someone on their birthday, but they count and take attendance. All of these things. And so this is a training ground for you to project, and some of you, it's neat. Some of you are already serving in the AV over there, and some of you are already greeters, and you're already doing those things. But know that ministry is not optional. Understand the right way to do ministry. The right way to do ministry. We do it how the Lord wants. When He wants, why He wants. As a church, we want to have proper procedures to collect and process money. Um, as believers, you want to give to the church. When's the last time you actually gave to the church? So for the work of the service there, uh, we want to, to train and identify leaders and be leaders that are doing things the Lord's way. But then lastly, I want you to do value and foster friendship in ministry. Value and foster friendship in ministry. Sometimes we think our friends are just there to have fun with. That's okay. It's all right to have fun. But we're not just here to make each other feel better and to have a good time. You're actually here bonding, gelling, growing, so that then you can serve. And so you think of a bunch of youth that are all focused on the same thing and they're in Awana and they're serving in Awana. 
and they're putting off sin and they're putting on Christ and they're, they're representing well and their focus and their motivation is all there and, and they're helping and they're serving and the kids can see that. I want you to have friends. I want you to get to know people. Sometimes you got to get to know new people and include them with it. But I want you to serve with them because that's how the church grows and that's how the church functions. And it's not just Christians here. It's Christians everywhere. So sometimes people, when they go up to college, they have a hard time because the church that there isn't countryside. And I'm like, look, we don't have the market cornered on good churchness. There's other good churches out there. And they might look a little bit different. But there's still a good church. And there's still people that love Jesus. And you need to get to know them and value and foster those friendships. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this book. We've learned so much. And I pray for the youth that loves you, that they would apply these truths to their life and that they would serve you faithfully. They would become better men and women of your word to further your kingdom and to build up one another in Christ Jesus. I pray for the unbelievers specifically tonight, Lord, that they would look at the consequences of sin. That they would realize that it doesn't satisfy, that it destroys and that it divides and it ultimately condemns. And I pray that they would recognize Paul's love for this church, which comes from his love for you, and that they would recognize Christ as Lord and Savior and that they would repent and place their faith in him. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved this book for thousands of years, and we ask that you would continue to do so, and that we would put into practice the things that we had learned, and we as a church would be united, not divided, because of what you've done. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.